The Beatles are a pretty nice band, and we've got a lot to say. The Beatles are a pretty nice band, talk about them day after day. But we also love the outfield a lot, so are these songs better than your love? The Beatles are a pretty nice band, someday we'll judge if they're fine, oh yeah, someday we'll judge if they're fine. Tonight, on a self-indulgent week in Pot It Out, Andrew! Roger! Andrew! Roger! <laughs> Andrew! Roger! We could do that all day, and but we're not going to. <laughs> this is John and Yoko, 1968, all the way through 1969. Today, my friends, we're going to cover Unfinished Music number one, better known as Two Virgins. Unfinished Music number two, Life with the Lions. Get the Give Peace a Chance single, the Wedding Album, the Cold Turkey single, and of course, the film Self-Portrait. If you don't know what that is, well, we're saving the best for last. That's what I'm... That's Buckle what up! Here we come! Hope you have your helmet on, hope it's strapped in. Yes, thank you. We don't want you to get CTE from no. listening to this episode. Definitely not. No, there's a lot to get to. It's funny because John, in this period, 1969 was uh, the Let It Be sessions, and John's like barely uh, participated. And oh, he's on heroin, right. which we're going to get to. Meanwhile, he's producing all this other stuff that's not the Beatles. Yes. You know. He just was not his his energy was and his energy and his focus was clearly not on the fabulous four at the time. No, so you were saying you, nobody wanted to be a Beatle less than John at this period of time. I got that vibe after listening to all of this, where you could just tell that like he was very done with being part of that ecosystem and wanted to make music to me that was the absolute antithesis of everything he had done before and make it very challenging and be like, you know, like daring others to, to join in with him in this journey. Now, George also very much did not want to be a Beatle as we famously all saw. He, he left, but then did come back. But at that time he was still, he was he, art well not arguably he was making the best music of his career at that point and mm-hmm. it's pro- the most popular music of his career at that time where john was very much checked out still making good music but here is very much trying to push people away i feel like he was trying to get fired it almost feels like that's what's yeah. happening. Because he didn't want to, on his own, quit the band. Right. And even when he did, he what he insisted nobody say anything. Which, right. in effect, made him still in the band. And um, then when Paul said the Beatles are over, he's the one who got blamed for it. Yes, which we will really get John. to yes. in the next episode, in fact, when we cover McCartney 1, McCartney I, McCartney Uno. Um, Uno dos tre. Catorce? Oh, I guess no. that's next. 
<laughs> right? That's how it goes, right? Didn't a G- Green Day do like a triple album where it was Uno, Dos, Trey? Oh. Uh, you know, yes. I, I noticed the other day, Trey Cool looks like Elon Musk. He kind of does, a, yeah. Which is unfortunate. Yes. <laughs> it is not Actually, very cool. Actually, I, w- I guess Elon Musk looks like Trey Cool because Trey has been around a lot longer in our consciousness. Correct. And Trey didn't ruin... Well, I wouldn't say a good thing. <laughs> he didn't ruin a thing. <laughs> he, he didn't ruin a thing. That existed. Yes. yes. As in a certain way. Unfinished music number one, two virgins. So this is not what I thought it was. I I mean, I used to think it was literally audio of Johnny Yoko making love. And it's because of the album cover. That's really what any most people know about this album is the album cover. They're, they're naked. Um, in, the, in reality, the audio, it's just randomness. With the exception of Yoko screaming, it's fine. Um, and that's mostly on side two, for what it's worth. Um, and it's composed of just the two sides, 15 minutes or so each. Um, it's like the Beatles' later Christmas records, or You Know My Name, Look Up the Number, except it has a loose narrative of a first date on a kitchen sink drama. Sure. Um, so, Andrew, what was your most memorable first date? Wow. Okay. Well, my I would say probably the first date I had with uh, the woman who became my wife. Uh, we went and got pizza at a place in town and were there for like three hours. <laughs> Forgot to pay. <laughs> and then realized when we got in the car, I turned it on. I was like, oh, no, <laughs> I didn't pay <laughs> and had to go back in. <laughs> What about you? Three hours. Oh my god. Yeah. Can you? Ima- I've noticed over the years my dates have gotten shorter and shorter, and I don't know if it's it's me or it's, it's age or or what. Um, I remember senior year of high school. I went to see a movie that, and I believe the movie was Finding Forrester. Okay. Um, <laughs> You know, uh, what do you want to get with the ladies? You gotta, yeah. You gotta show them some uh, Forrest Whitaker. Sure. <laughs> it really gets people. The ladies go, and I think we left early. <laughs> okay. We we do. I've to this day I've never seen. I haven't seen the entire film. I, apologies to the cast and crew. Uh, Anna Paquin, I believe, was in it also. And um, wait, I'm finding for. I might be confused. Doesn't matter. The point is, um, we were walking back to the train, and we I we stopped by. We, we stopped on our tracks because right in the middle of the street was a hard hat that said Romeo on it. Oh, and I picked it up and I gave it to her like this is for you, um, and uh-huh. she kept she, and she kept it. Um, this. For at least a summer, the last time I was at her house was summer of two thousand one, the last innocent summer of our lives. Yeah, Finding Forrester. I'm confusing. I might be confusing it. There was a movie where Anthony Hopkins was a reclusive writer. No, Sean. Oh my. Uh? Sean Connery. Sean Connery was in Finding Forrester. Yes, I'm, I'm like remembering this now because it, it wasn't it by like Yankee Stadium or something. Wasn't there like some sort of Yankee tie-in? Yes, it's in yeah. the Bronx. Okay, yeah. 
Um, wow, Anna Paquin was in it. I don't know where I got Forrest Whitaker from because Whitaker Forrester, maybe. Um, also, Buster Rhymes was a supporting actor. Sure. In the film. Okay. William Forrester. I, and, okay, what I distinctly remember, there's no way this is wrong, is the character, the Forrester character would turn his socks inside out instead of changing them. Okay. He thought it was a waste of socks to not do this. Understood. Okay. okay. Very important. Huh. Um, so yeah, what do you, Andrew? What do you, what do you what do you think of this album? What do I think of two versions? So yeah, from the cover of them, you know, fully naked. I would also assume that it would just be them making mm-hmm. love, and that would be mm-hmm. the recording, and that would make a lot of sense actually. <laughs> I remember seeing this album for the first time in a in a record store when I was in high school, Princeton Record Exchange, New Jersey. Look it up; it's great. Uh, and was absolutely like I didn't even know this record existed at the time, and was just like, "What? Whoa! Okay, sure." And my friends like, "Oh yeah, that's the that's the cal- album co- that they're naked on," but you know, didn't look into it any further. This was the first time I listened to it, and yeah, it's like it's a sound collage. It's them just, you know just trying stuff out it's tape loops what, what are you gonna say like it's cool that john lennon was doing stuff like that as like the biggest pop star in the world <laughs> that he's like yeah. i'm just gonna go full avant-garde lean into it wholesale what can you say uh, you know to be honest with you did i listen to the entire thing uh, i'm gonna be honest and say i didn't because it's just i did you did. Great. I did. It's just a very I, difficult listen. I did my homework listen. teacher. Yes. <laughs> I did not get an A. But it's just tough. To, like, it's a tough listen. And what I think is pretty funny about it overall is that, yes, it's on Spotify of all places. But no, mm. <laughs> you just see <laughs> their faces and everything else totally blanked out. It's What's very the funny. term? It, it's a movie term, uh, but I'm sure you know it because you're the tv business of like when they zoom in and it's like a peephole is it called a peephole shot oh um i'm taking home look it up first is it a is it a dutch angle dutch mm, no I, dutch angle is when the camera has been rotated around the axis of the lens and relative okay so no that's more well spotify yeah they don't show the full album cover in fact they show like one percent of it and it's just John's face and half a yogos, I think, and it looks like it, you're looking at the real people. Yes, it's, it looks. It looks like <laughs> it's like you're at your in your apartment building, and you say, "Oh, who's there? Oh, it's 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 John and Yoko. They're here. Two, oh two. my lord! Oh, they're here, all right. <laughs> yes. Did you use your hand when you knocked on the door, John? <laughs> oh boy! My goodness. Well, oh, man. it's funny that you say you saw this. You said you saw it in a New Jersey in a New Jersey record shop in a New Jersey record store. Well, um, 30,000 copies in New Jersey were impounded in oh. January 1969. Incredible. Uh, because it was regarded by some authorities as being obscene. Well, you know, it's like, what's the rule about pornography? I know it when I see it. That's right. Yes. Uh, yes, I believe that quote was after 1969. So yes. it was a free-for-all back and then I d- in I New saw Jersey. This, I saw it in a record store in 2007. Yes. And okay. so it's still out there. I wonder how much <laughs> money it's worth on Discogs, but I'm not going to Google it on my work computer. 
<laughs> yeah, this is a store. This is a this is a record. You, if you were gonna buy it, you'd have to buy it in the store, mm-hmm. cash, mm-hmm. brown paper bag. Yes, walk out with shame. Shame. Well, more shame than usual. So this album was recorded in May of 1968, but it didn't come out in the UK until exactly one week after the White Album, November oh. 29th, 1968. But us lucky United States folks got it on November 11th. How about that? How about um, that? Pete Shotton, uh, John's childhood friend, was also credited with tape loops on this record. Uh, this was recorded at an all-night session in Kenwood, Lennon's home in Weybridge. Uh, Lennon invited Yoko over on May 3rd, 1968, the date which marked the beginning of their relationship. That's why we asked about, we talked about our first dates that were memorable, because this was their uh, first date. Um, although married to Cynthia, John had become intrigued by the Japanese artist, who he first met on November 7th, 1966. The pair were in regular contact between those dates. Uh, I read recently that he was going to invite Yoko to um, India, but like, chickened out at the last minute. Mm. Um the pair were in regular contact. Lennon's invitation to Odo came when Cynthia conveniently was on a two-week holiday in Greece. Hmm. Mm-hmm. Cynthia's on a vacation far away. Come around and <laughs> oh, talk no. it over. Cynthia returned home unexpectedly the next day to find John and Yoko sitting cross-legged on the floor in matching white robes, staring into each other's eyes. Sin? This is Yoko from State Farm. Like a good neighbor. <laughs> Written by Barry Manilow. That's that's right. The State Farm theme song, Barry Manilow. That is true. Yes. Fun facts. Um, two seventy-eight RPM discs were incorporated to the recordings. You can look into that if you want. Lennon's Shadow for Pete Shotton who had been at Kenwood when Yoko arrived. I'm sure he was told to make like a tree and leave mm. almost immediately. Later claimed he had made several tape loops with John. The recordings were made out of two-track tape using a Brennell machine. And uh, Ringo may be his most famous quote from <laughs> yes. anthology. Ringo said, The cover was the mind-blower. I remember to this day the moment when they came in and showed me. I don't really remember the music. I'd have to play it now. No, you don't. But he showed me the cover, and I pointed to the times. Oh, you've even got the times in it. As if he didn't have his dick hanging out. (laughs) Um... So John said in anthology, we were both a bit embarrassed when we peeled off the picture, peeled off for the picture. So I took it myself with delayed action shutter. The picture was to prove we are not a couple of demented freaks. We are not deformed in any way and that our minds are healthy. If we can make society accept these kind of things without offense, without sniggering, and then we shall be achieving our purpose. What we did purposely is not have a pretty photograph, not have it lighted so we looked sexy or good. There were a couple other takes from an session where we looked rather nice, hid the little bits that aren't that beautiful. We looked good, but we used the straightest, most unflattering picture just to show we were human. Lennon gave the film to Jeremy Banks, a staff member at Apple. Banks had it developed and gave the prince to Derek Taylor, the company's press officer. Neil Aspinall in Anthology said John had just given Jeremy a roll of film and said, get that developed, please. 
<laughs> and when he get, and when he got it back and saw the nude pictures, Jeremy said, "This is mind blowing." Everything was always mind blowing to Jeremy, but just at one time, he was actually right. He couldn't believe. It. Yeah. And even Ringo said it was mind blowing. They they they've settled on a, a phrase. And, and Ringo had seen it. <laughs> yeah. He, uh, <laughs> hey, look! You got the times in there. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Do you think he, they had the times when they all four of them were? Uh, that's a, that's a, that's a bad joke. The album was eventually released in a brown paper bag to hide the cover. On the sleeve was a quotation from the Bible, twenty-five, <laughs> and they were both naked, the man and his wife, and were not ashamed. I don't know if Yoko was his wife by the time it came out. Not that it matters. But you know. Two Virgins was delayed for several months due to wranglings within EMI over its cover and contents. It became the second LP released by Apple Records after George Harrison's Wonderwall Music, which was issued in the UK on November 1st. As with Capital, EMI declined to release it. We declined, sir. <laughs> Although they agreed to master and press the album in exchange for their standard fee, it was released by Track Records. EMI refused to produce the cover or sleep to the record unless it was changed. EMI's chairman, Joseph Lockwood, once commented, why don't you use Paul instead? He's much better looking. Hmm. Much better looking. That doesn't mean he has a less obscene pee-pee. I don't know. Well. There's only one way to find out. McCartney <laughs> Cartor say it's going to be mind-blowing. <laughs> oh, my God. Well, he does only... have a new record coming out this year, so we'll see. Oh, nice. There's there's still chance. When the Rolling Stones put out a new one. Oh, my God. <laughs> Only 5,000 copies were pressed in the United Kingdom, and the album failed to chart. It peaked at number 124 in the United States. Many record shops refused to stock it. The press was outraged. Listeners were put off by the cover and experimental nature of the recording. And, in fact, Spotify censors the album cover to this day. Actress Sissy Spacek using the pseudonym Rainbow without the W at the end, recorded the song, John, You Went Too Far This Time, in response to the album's cover. This time. What a prude. Love counts. I don't <laughs> know. I must admit, I was not uh, counting? tracking it. Yes. Yeah, I, I wasn't counting. I was focusing, trying to focus. Um, it was what it was. Yep. Josie Scale... Are these technically two tracks better than Your Love by the Outfield? <laughs> I'm going to say I'm afraid it's a Josie. It is a Josie, but it is also probably the closest um, uh, to the Outfield we'll ever get. Okay. <laughs> Thematically. That's true. Thematically. Well, you know, I mean, there may be other songs about cheating, Norwegian and, Wood. Norwegian Wood, sure. But specifically, we recorded this while my wife was on a vacation far, far away. away. Mm-hmm. And they came around. She, and Yoko here, came around. And but here's the thing, Andrew. Over. Yes. Here's a f- yes. Yoko didn't cover up. Wow. Mm-hmm. Uh, but, you know, John did like his girls a little bit older. Unfinished Everyone's going to hate us for comparing this to the outfield continuously. Well, they, come on. <laughs> I know. It's a good it's a good concept. I like it. 
Episode 192, that's when they draw a line. Yeah, that's when they were like, I'm done. Two virgins. No. Josie scale, we get it. Okay. (laughs) Unfinished music number two, Life with the Lions. So, okay. Side one is 26 minutes. It's just Yoko screaming to John's feedback guitar and a couple of other instrumentalists. So then things take a turn. Side two has a couple of tracks. Mm -hmm. It tells the story of a family tragedy and sometimes obtuse yet in baffle ways. Um, and it's kind of funny. There's a track where Yoko sings article headlines about John. Um, I, I actually kind of like it. Side two. Side one is terrible. Yes. <laughs> uh, but side two is, is interesting. Uh, Mal Evans was credited with watch <laughs> on this album. He was watching. Yeah. Oh boy. So, I liked I liked No Bed for Beetle John. Yes, that was the track I was just referring to. No Bed for Beetle John. And it, in fact, the album cover, they're clothed. Yoko's in a hospital bed, and John is uh, laying down next to her on the floor of the hospital. Um. So yeah, uh, let's see. The album was the first to be released on the Beatles label Zapple, intended as an experimental counterpart to Apple. Gee, I wonder why. Hmm. <laughs> wonder where they got the idea. Hmm. <laughs> and wow, I love that they came up with Zapple. <laughs> it's like John's like, what what are you gonna put it out under? Uh uh Zapple. Bapple. Not Bapple, that's ridiculous. You just thought it. I'm just kidding. Is this, is this the Jim Gaffigan bit of Hot Pockets right now? <laughs> Hot Pockets. <laughs> Not written by Barry Manilow. Not written by Hot Barry Manilow. <laughs> no. it, this was issued on the same day as George Harrison's Electronic Sound. Uh, the album peaked in the U.S. at, again, I believe, number 174. If that, Oh, no, that's it, 50 places lower than the previous album, Unfinished Music. Number one. Uh, Cambridge 1969 is the title of the 26-minute piece, featuring Ono on wailing vocals and Lennon coaxing numerous shades of feedback from his guitar amplifier. Uh, for the final six minutes, they were joined by saxophonist John Chigachi and percussionist John Stevens, who continued playing for a time after Lennon and Ono left the stage. It feels like, Andrew, that it was a monkey's paw wish yes. from somebody that the Beatles would perform live again. Please, I'll take anything. Oh, no. Oh, no. Um, and the second half was recorded after Ono was admitted to the hospital on November 4th, 1968. Uh, over the next two weeks, they made a series of recordings. No Bed for Beetle John consisted mostly of Ono singing snippets of press articles about the couple. The track is followed by Baby's Heartbeat, which was a five-minute audio recording of the couple's unborn child. On November 21st, Ono suffered a miscarriage, which was attributed to stress caused by the couple's recent arrest for drugs possession and a backlash they received from the media. The child was named John Ono Lennon II. It was later buried in a secret location. Hence the next track, Two Minutes of Silence, which is what is is described. Yeah. Um, And that's the part where I'm like, oh, wow, okay. Yeah. The the final track is Radio Play. More than 12-minute... 12 minutes of a radio being turned on and off. Lennon can be heard in the background speaking on the phone, and at one point, Obladi, Oblada can be heard. Um, 
I would have enjoyed this a lot more if they spend more time on each station. Like, listening to what the radio sounded like in 1968 sounds cool. Absolutely. Get some Radio London action. Yeah. Yeah. How about some Radio Free Europe? A 1997 CD reissue included additional recordings made at the hospital. Song for John is a relatively conventional song featuring Odo singing over Lennon's acoustic guitar, while Mulberry has Lennon on slide guitar, while Odo repeats the title word for nine minutes. <laughs> yeah. Mm-hmm. Contemporaneously, Ed Ward wrote in Rolling Stone, the album was utter bullshit and in poor taste. The Boston Sunday Globe writer Gregory McDonald advised readers not to buy the album and described Cambridge 69 as resembling a well-recorded vocal by a mosquito. Ouch. This is well-recorded. Yeah. The Salt Star were most favorable, deeming its contents and artwork to sum up the total of rock as a revolutionary force. I don't know about that. Record Mirror's reviewer described Life with the Lines as a fine example of how two young people can amuse themselves without television. <laughs> it is true. <laughs> with Yoko Ono, the Flamey Lips made a remix of Cambridge 1969, retitled Cambridge 1969-2007. It was on, included on their album, Yes, I'm a Witch. Of course they collaborated. Yes. Love Count, I don't know. <laughs> Please stop asking me. <laughs> Does it work for this prompt? No. Josie Scale, do any of these tracks get a, yeah. Um, in context, two minutes silence, maybe. But if you yeah. have to say in context, then no, I'm afraid two lions is a, Life of the Lions is a, is a big old Josie. Yeah, it's a Josie. I'm just not, no. Nope. Mm-mm. But do you appreciate that he? I think you already answered this question. Do you appreciate that John and Yoko are doing this? Oh, of course. Yeah, that, that's yeah. the thing. Yeah, I appreciate. I, I, yeah, it's just not like, am I going to go back and listen to it for fun? No. <laughs> no. Absolutely not. I've made music like this before, too. Like, especially sure. like the, the radio bit. Like, I used to do a thing in a band where, like, at the end of our set, like, I would plug in a radio to an amplifier and distort it, and then tune it. And you see what you come up with. I saw Thurston Moore do that once, and I was, like, mind-blown. I was like, holy shit, I gotta do that, too. So, like, stuff like the radio play, where it's like, oh, he's like she's just turning the radio on and off, and, tu- and like, like that's fun. Like, that, like they're fun. having a good time. Yeah. Like, creating stuff like this. But again, like, I, kind, like, I disagree with the... Um, like the reviews where they're saying like it's in poor taste. It's like yeah, for a pop for a pop fan, absolutely. Like don't buy it if you're if like if you're into the Beatles and you like Obla Diabla Da. No, you're not gonna like this. Mm-hmm. But to say it's utter bullshit, I think is utter bullshit. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean especially this one. Yeah, like the other ones, kind of utter bullshit. But yes. uh, this one, there's some poignancy to it. I just I just can't get over the fact that it feels like kind of a fuck you from John. Oh um, yes, it is. Yeah, I, I I much prefer to imagine that he, no pun intended, hmm. uh, that he he was doing this like 
for shits and giggles, which I'm sure he also was doing. Um, I think it's also like he's getting that kind of like that kind of uh, creative energy out to then pour it into more traditional pop forms later. So he's like getting, you know, like the yeah. the one for me, one for you kind of aspect. <laughs> yeah. Well, speaking of, how about to give give peace a chance? <laughs> yes. So while nobody talks about bagism anymore, it is a classic that stands the test of time. I guess that's what a classic is. Yes. Uh, John was good with anthems, and you gotta agree with that. You just gotta uh, give peace a chance. It's simple. Full version is almost five minutes long, and it still doesn't get old, at least not to me. Um, I I don't really have much to say about it because the message is hard to argue with, which was partially the point of the song. They're just asking you <laughs> to try peace. Just try it, man. Just gotta try it. Yeah. Hey. First one's free. Ooh. Ooh. But peace might be a gateway drug to <laughs> Well, I hope marijuana. so. <laughs> you know, like this song, or like rather the the, the chorus is it's mm-hmm. legendary. Like I cannot imagine imagine, huh, again, uh, yeah. a world without that chant. All we're saying is give peace a chance. Like I can't imagine that that world that doesn't have that. It's just so it's just a ubiquitous part of culture. Um the thing I get a little bit annoyed about is the constant Lennon chatter <laughs> throughout the song, where it's just like everyone's singing, all we are saying is give peace a chance. Just like, like it's, I, I understand that he's probably, like they're recording it live. He's probably giving like a little bit of direction mm-hmm. and there's a, there's an audience and he's, you know, into it. But like, all I am saying is maybe give silent cues to everyone a chance. The lesser known uh, remix. <laughs> yes. Um, this song was credited to Lennon and McCartney, even though Paul had nothing to do with it. Um, people believe that John gave him credit for this song because Paul helped with the ballad of John and Yoko. So it was a bit of uh, thank you very much. Um, Tommy Smothers was on guitar. Rest in power, Tommy. Yes. Uh, Alan Ginsberg, Timothy Leary, Petula Clark, Rosemary Woodruff, Derek Taylor, Murray the K, Dick Gregory, Abraham Feinberg, and others were vocals, provided vocals. And a Canadian chapter of the Raha Krishna Temple also provided vocals as well as drums and finger cymbals. Finger cymbals? Yeah. Um, This was recorded just as John's first non-Beatles single, um, it was recorded on the penultimate day of his and Yoko's second bedded for peace in room 1742 of the Queen Elizabeth Hotel in Montreal, Canada. Uh, they stayed there for a week. They gave a bunch of interviews. And John said, after being interviewed for weeks and weeks and weeks, no, maybe <laughs> hmm. just felt that way. With Yoko and me talking about peace from our beds, I had those words coming out of my mouth or Yoko's, whatever the hell they came from, and it became a song. So, yeah, he kept using this phrase. All we were saying is give peace a chance. He made it into a song with melody and lyrics. Uh, it was intentionally s- simple, so anyone can join in. The verses were largely nonsense, although the third verse contained a word of masturbation. It was changed by Lennon to mastication in the published lyrics, as Lennon wished to avoid courting controversy. Sure, in this case, he does. So, uh, masturbation is probably heard on the radio every day. Yes. 
Um, When's the last time Q1043 played this? <laughs> oh, this game again. I'm not pulling that game up again. <laughs> okay. During the recording, Lennon and Tommy Smothers played acoustic guitars. A wardrobe door was repeatedly opened to close to provide a rhythm. And the various assembled guests sang during the choruses. In later years, Paul McCarty added the song to his life set as part of a tribute to John. It was also frequently performed by Ringo after John's death. Mm-hmm. Let him perform Give Me Just a Chance with the Plastic Ono Band at the Toronto Rock and Roll Revival Festivation. No, Festival. On September 13, 1969. Festival and the word on right next to each other did not work out for me. He introduced the song with the words, This is what we came for, really. Lennon confessed he couldn't remember the words, so largely ad-libbed during the verses. Not that it matters, probably. Uh, it was released on Live Piece of Toronto in 1969. Uh, it quickly became a peace anthem. On October 15th, 69, it was sung by half a million demonstrators of D.C. at the Vietnam Moratorium Day in a rendition led by folk singer Pete Seeger. Not too bad. That's crazy. Like, it's, like it hadn't been released that, that, that long. And, and no. Because it's Lennon, it's already a classic. No, like July, it was released on the 4th of July in the UK, and a couple of days later in the US, and on October 15th. Yeah. That happened. That's, it's, that is crazy. That's wild. It was, it peaked at number two on the singles chart, held off by Honky Tonk Woman. Okay. Honky Tonk Sh- Women. Sure. <laughs> Damn you, Jagger. You win this <laughs> round. <laughs> um,. On March 4th, 2022, 150 European public radio stations broadcast a song for peace and against the 2022 Russian invasion of Ukraine. And on March 8th, European private radio stations did the same. The Rocket 1000 performed a song for the opening of the final of the Eurovision Song Contest in 2022, also in reaction to the invasion. Love Count Zero. Masturbation count, one. One. So self-love, one. Which makes sense. Yeah. Okay, the Fonzie meter's back. Is the B-side better, or do you prefer the A? The B-side is Remember to Love, which was also recorded in the hotel room. Kind of has Julia vibes, mm-hmm. but alas, A. I will agree and give it an A. A. Josie Scale, I'm going to give this... Uh, yeah, I feel like I also have to give it a yeah. I mean, because <laughs> all they're saying is to give peace a chance. It, it'll be weird if you're like, I'm against peace. I'm against peace. <laughs> no. Peace, love, no autographs. Wedding album. Yay. <laughs> huh? uh, so side one is... Like a long ripoff of John and Marsha, which was a classic commercial that I only know about because of Mad Men. And it's a, also much longer and much more disturbing. Mm. John mm. Marsha. Side two is them chatting in Amsterdam during their first bed-in. Fun stuff like arguing with a reporter over whether or not every European country had its own Hitler. <sighs> Plus more than enough ad-lib music. I like the idea of the album more than the execution. That's certainly for sure. Roger. Andrew. Roger! Andrew! Okay, yeah. Uh, yes. Uh, more stuff that was just not meant 
for mass consumption here for your average record buyer. So I agree 100% about idea versus execution. Like, he's a free man. I don't have to answer to anybody. I don't need to answer to Paul. I don't have to share credit with him contractually. And so, you know, you can tell he's just very happy doing, like, wild, crazy stuff, subversive stuff like this. Um, The Amsterdam track feels a little voyeuristic to me. Just, like, the conversation stuff, like, really fly on the wall that it's like, I don't know. I guess, I mean, I understand the point of the wedding album was, like, here, we're sharing what we did on our honeymoon with everybody else. So it's just, like, if you were there, you're there. If you weren't there, now you are here. But... It just felt like like some of this feels like a waste of like pressing vinyl to be perfectly honest. Yeah, even more so than you argue the other two. Yes. Um, yeah, again, it just feels like a fuck you. Yeah. <laughs> this is less fun than the other ones. Yes. Uh, even though the the John and Marshall thing goes way too far. It goes um, way too far. And yeah, I'd never seen that commercial before until you linked it. And mm-hmm. I mean, wow. I mean, I've seen some coffee commercials from the 50s that are just incredibly sexist. And I mean, <laughs> and there's this one. Well, it's funny because uh, Mad Men, which is set in the 60s, uh, Peggy Olson does it with a co-worker. Yeah. And that, that's how I found out about it. So it's a great show. Great show. Um, Never seen Jellens, it. Yeah, I highly recommend. Yes. Um, yeah. I sh- I really, sh- I told myself I would never highly recommend TV shows because then there's too much pressure, and then it's yeah. like if you're not hooked right away, it's like forget it. I it's better than Succession, I'll say that. Oh, okay. Because I know you didn't like Succession, so that's why I didn't like Succession. I just, I just never kept up with it. It's tough for me to keep up with TV shows. Well, it's over now, so that's true. Um, so John said in 1980, it was like share. Our, it was like our sharing our wedding with whoever wanted to share it with us. We didn't expect a hit record out of it. It was more of a. That's why we call it the wedding album. You know, people make a wedding album, show it to the relatives when they come around. Well, our relatives are the uh, what you call fans or people that follow us outside. So yeah. that was our way of letting them join in on a wedding. Sure. Um. Yeah, Amsterdam, which you referred to, was the second side, which is what the talking during the first bed and for peace. And um, the the track did begin with Yoko singing "John, John, Let's Hope for Peace," which was later performed at at the Toronto Rock and Roll Revival Festival. I didn't. I, I don't even consider that a song because it's so um, impromptu. Sure. So that's that's why we're not. It's a Josie, whatever. Uh, much of Amsterdam consists of interviews given by John and Yoko explaining their campaigns for peace, discussions with each other. The speech was also interspersed with the sounds of seagulls, industrial noises, traffic, children playing, and sitars. Uh, and there were four musical interludes, and there's including an a cappella rendition of the Beatles song Goodnight. And bed piece, a brief recitation of the, recitation of the words bed piece and hair piece. <laughs> Unusually for the time, Apple, not Zapple, released wedding album as a lavish box set. It included a reproduction of the marriage certificate, a 16-page booklet of press cuttings labeled The Press, a picture of a slice of wedding cake, a poster of black and white photos taken on their wedding day, a hair piece bed piece postcard, 
a PVC bag labeled Bagism, and a strip of four passport photographs of the happy couple. The UK weekly music newspaper Melody Maker, not not uh, part of GQ, should point out. Hey, Victoria, yeah. Yeah. Ran a notorious review written by Richard Williams would be given a promotional copy containing two discs, each of which contained a test signal on one side. Williams reviewed it thinking it was a double album, noted that constant listening reveals a curious point. The pitch of the tones alters frequency, but only by microtones or in most a semitone. And it goes on like that. On a more basic level, you could have a, a ball by improvising your very own raga plain song, or even Gaelic mouth music against a drone. And John Yoko sent a telegram, Dear Richard, thank you for your fantastic review on our web. What I got one click C and D side. Stop. We are considering it for our next release. Stop. Maybe you were right in saying that they are the best side. Stop. We both feel that this is the first time a critic topped the artist. Stopped. We are not joking. Stop. Love and peace. Stop. John Yoko Lennon. You get us. You actually get us. <laughs> <laughs> or it's like they're caught. <laughs> That's what it yeah. like. It's like, oh, I better start making pop music again that no one's going to understand. Ooh. Ooh. Love counts. I don't know. <laughs> jo- Josie scale, Josie. Uh, yep, it's a it's a Josie. Um, sorry I didn't get you anything for your wedding, even though I was there. I wasn't there either. I wasn't invited, so. Yeah. Cold Turkey. So this is a preview of John's Plastic Auto Band album that comes out the following year in 1970, and I love it. Spoiler. Um, we'll get to that, of course. Yeah. Um, so Cold Turkey, as far as I know, perfectly encapsulates drug addiction. Um, from what I've read, you know, mostly music bios. Uh, it sucks, and you sweat a lot. I know that much. Uh, shout out to Eric Clapton's pow guitar and Klaus Vormann's bass. And yes, Ringo, you do a good job, too. Hmm. It even has a lovely Rita-esque ending. Yeah, it does. That's a good catch. Thank you. Yes, I like that. Uh, uh, and also, don't forget, John is the rocking beetle. Wow. <laughs> I really like the minimalist aspect of this, like just the mostly just like drum and bass thing. I think Ringo does a great job on this song Uh, and the occasional stabbing guitar from John. It's awesome. The arrangement's great. Uh, You know, he's hurting. He's desperate. You got to give him a fix because he's going down. And Mm -hmm. hey, a darker era is beginning here. Um, Yeah. So Eric Clapton on electric guitar. John Lennon on electric guitar, Klaus Vormann on bass. Uh, we talked about uh, last episode, I believe, that Klaus is basically replaces Paul mm-hmm. on John George and Ringo's recordings as the bass player. And he uh, did a cover art for Revolver, and he's been a friend since his Germany days. And some chap named Ringo Starr on the drums. Hmm. Um, this is John's second non-Beatles single. Um, John and Yoko were became addicted to heroin in 1968, while the Beatles were making the White Album. He referred to his habit in songs, including Happiness is a Warm Gun, which you just referred to, and um, everybody's got something to hide except for me and my monkey. What he said, the deeper you go, the higher you fly. So come on, come on. Come on, come on. Uh, it says here, Lennon's heroin use accounted for much of his ambivalence during the Let It Be sessions in January 69, although his addiction came and went. 
He was, for example, reportedly clean during the Tibetans for peace in March and May 1969. Uh, and uh, I think I mentioned this before, but like on Instagram, every other day, my algorithm shows me a video from Let It Be when John takes out drugs, remembers that he's on camera, and puts him away. Yes. <laughs> yes. <laughs> I guess you've seen it, too. Uh, by the end of summer that year, summer 69... Oh, yeah. He and Ono chose to withdraw from heroin, undergoing the process known as cold turkey. Although both Lennon and Ono occasionally lapsed in subsequent months and years, the experience inspired Lennon to write what became the second Plastic Ono Band single. Um, in 1970, Lennon put his usage of heroin down to the treatment Yoko received from the others in the Beatles' circle. This is his part of the infamous um, long interview he did with Jan, Jan Wenner. Uh, which was put in the book, Lennon Remembers. Uh, heroin. It was just not much fun. I never injected it or anything. We sniffed a little when we were in real pain. I mean, we just couldn't. People were giving us such a hard time. And I've had so much shit thrown at me, and especially at Yoko. People like Peter Brown in our office. He comes down and shakes my hand and doesn't even say hello to her. But that's going on all the time. And we get in so much pain, we have to do something about it. And that's what happened to us. We took H because of what the Beatles and their pals were doing to us. We got out of it. They didn't set down to do it, but things came out of that period, and I don't forget. That's not cool. Uh, you know. Mm-hmm. Like, that's that's an awful story. It is an awful story. Um, I do recommend therapy. Yeah. Which he, he does get to. Uh, yes, he does. Um John recorded the acoustic guitar demos of the song in early September 69. Um, Lennon took the demos to the Beatles, heard of them, and brazenly <laughs> suggested they record it as the group's next single. Well, where they would turn it down, he elected instead to issue it himself. Um, I don't know. that I, I wouldn't have minded <laughs> if that was their next single. I could see it, yeah. I mean, half of them played on it already. But yeah, <laughs> and occasional uh, or guest guitarist. Uh, yeah, other George, other George, and other Paul. <laughs> yeah. So I mean, the Toodles, yeah. the Toodles. They, hey, it's the it's the, it's the old version of the Toodles. We're gonna see a lot of Toodles coming up, um, and thrills too. And yeah. yeah, every yeah. But I could see them doing it. I, I I'm I'm gonna assume that. I mean, they they would to- obviously they toyed with references to heroin and stuff and in, in songs and other hard hard drugs, but I I'm gonna guess that that was probably a bridge too far for for them, uh, mm-hmm. and maybe even Apple to be like, yeah, no, we can't. Like, you could do this on your own, but we can't sully the Beatles' reputation, quote unquote. That's true. That's true. Fine, we'll put out. Shit like the long and winding road. It's fine. <laughs> Let's do Octopus's Garden again. <laughs> Still like to be there. Yeah. Um, so they performed Cold Turkey, John and Yoko, at, in Toronto. And John said, we were full of junk. I just threw up for hours till I went on. I nearly threw up in Cold Turkey. Uh, I was throwing up nearly in a number. I could hardly sing any of them. I was full of shit. Perfect. Um, the Toronto version liked the biting guitar the later studio recording and was marred by Yoko's wailing backing vocals it says here 
It did, however, feature a tremulous vocal by Lennon, which was presumably a throwback to the pain of withdrawal. The crowd's response to the song was muted, and afterwards Lennon demanded of the crowd, Come on, wake up. Sounds great. Yeah. Um, but it is a good record. Um, I, I, It's part of... You know the over, 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 Orville Redenbacher of yeah. Lennon. It's easier to listen to than fish music for sure. Um, sounds like a maybe Nirvana bootleg, but uh, you know the, I'll talk about my Nirvana plastic auto band theories Ooh. down the road. Oh, yeah, this thanks. is exciting. Okay, yeah, cool. Yeah. Um. Let's see. Twelve days after the Toronto Festival, the, the Plastic Auto Band had their first attempt at recording it. The band's lineup was the same as for Toronto's show, except Ringo replaced Alan White on drums. Revenge for Love Me Do. Finally! Avenged! It took seven <laughs> years, but now re- the replacement... Ringo never forgot. He, no, he did not. No. No. No, no. The No-No song is about <laughs> Alan White. <laughs> no. No, 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 no. I play. Um, Cult Target was released in the U.S. on October 20th, 69, peaking at number 30. Four days later, it was issued in the U.K., reaching number 14. The label for the single had Play Loud printed in large, bold type. The B-side was Yoko Ono's Don't Worry, Kyoko. Mummy's only looking for her hand in the snow. On the 26th of November, John returned his MBE to Buckingham Palace along with a statement which read, I am returning this MBE in protest against Britain's involvement in the Nigeria Bafra thing, against our support of America in Vietnam, and against cold turkey slipping down the charts. With love, John Lennon of Bag. Fonzie Meter, is the B-side better or do you prefer the A? The B-side was Don't Worry, Kyoko. Um... um you know, it, it, it's, it's it's a nice song. It's actually pretty decent, but I'm going to give it a... a... And I'm going to give it a B. <gasps> what? Have, is this the first B? I think so. Of the, of the series? Yeah. I think no, that's is. not true, because I gave it... <laughs> for Wonderful Christmas Oh, Wonderful time. Christmas Time, whatever. Yeah, you're like, anything but... Rudolph, Rudolph the Reggae Reindeer. Yeah, that's right. That's right. So, number two, um, Josie Scale. I, I give this a yeah. I, I really like it. It's proto Nirvana. Um, and that's a good thing, I would say. Um, John really goes for it. You can feel his pain here. Absolutely. Uh, it's like a better version of your blues, I would say. Cause oh, your okay. Because your blues had like the patina of satire to it mm. so like you could tell he's feeling upset about something but he's also making fun of you know uh Brit- britain B- british people uh singing american blues um but in this case it's just he's in pain and yeah. it rocks and you feel it baby it's rock and roll it's rock and roll uh I- i'm gonna Disagree and, and give it like, a Josie. I, uh, <laughs> I'm like, ooh, I'm a dick. Um, no, I, 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 it's well noted on this pod that I'm just like not like the biggest Lennon fan. Yeah. <laughs> so like, this is just like this is not my bag exactly. I appreciate it for sure, 
but am I going to go reach for it? No, I'm probably going to go reach for Your Love by the Outfield over a Plastic Ono Band song. <laughs> but to give credit to the B-side, I think that that song is incredible. I've always liked Don't Worry, Kyoko. It's, I love that song. Don't worry, don't worry. Don't, I just love that riff. Like that's I, I love I love that song. It is similar to the intro to the 1957 hit, Wake Up Little Susie. That's what you like, me. Interesting. Maybe. I mean, who doesn't like that? No, yeah, Everly Brothers, man. I love the They're Everly awesome. Brothers. I've been having, like, a, actually, oddly enough, I've been having, like, an Everly Brothers phase, like, during 2024 so far. Hell yeah. It's great. I'm loving it. They say, ooh la la. Hmm. Wake up, little Susie. Um... No, I mean, I do like the song. It's just called Turkey is... Oh, is yeah. Better, I understand. Opinion. Of course. Yes. I say I said a, a subtle A. <laughs> uh, finally, folks, self-portrait. <laughs> On March 20th, 1969, John Lennon and Yoko married after 10 months of dating. Yoko made several films in cooperation with Lennon. One of these is self-portrait. It was a film that showed John Lennon's penis for 42 minutes, which proved to be too unconventional for the audience, leading to the film to never be shown following its initial screening. It is one long shot of John Lennon's semi-erect penis. As in Ono's one, Flux Film Number 14, a.k.a. Match, in 1966, slow motion is used to extend the sense of time. At the end of Self-Portrait, a drop of semen comes out of Lennon's penis. Lennon would later state in an interview that the semen drop was accidental, the original idea was for his penis to rise and fall. Otto had intended to film audience members reacting to self-portrait. This footage was intended to be part of another variation, a split-screen presentation, like in Andy Warhol's Chelsea Girls, of self-portrait, in which the crowd's reactions would be projected alongside the image of Lennon's penis. However, the recording equipment failed to record anything of the audience. That is brilliant, I gotta say. I wish that she was able to pull that off. Yes. <laughs> Especially considering it was mostly male journalists that went to the one screening. Yes, that would be fun. <laughs> wow. Ono said in a 1970 interview with the film critic Philip French that the critics wouldn't touch it. <laughs> exactly. Way to go. <laughs> so the question remains, Andrew. Yeah. Is this an episode of I Love Films? Yep. Yep. <laughs> and if that, ladies and gentlemen, <laughs> that was, and that is a good app. Good app. Good app. John and Yoko, nineteen sixty-eight to nineteen sixty-nine. Next time we're going to the nineteen seventies. Yeah. Oh, baby. Yeah. What are we covering uh, next time? McCartney Uno. The whole, just the whole record. Just the whole record? Nice. Yeah, baby. I'm excited. The whole record. Yeah. Yeah. Maybe you're amazed about that. We'll see. The Beatles are a pretty nice band. Talk about them day after day. But we also love the outfield a lot. So are these songs better than your love? The Beatles are a pretty nice band. Someday we'll judge if they're fine. Oh, yeah. Someday we'll judge if they're fine.